Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode 74 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Dan Englander of Sales Schema, who shares how to grow your agency with cold email. Cold email is a subject that has been getting more and more attention over the last few years, especially in the startup world. In fact, you're probably getting more than a few cold emails every week from some company trying to sell you something. This podcast isn't about how to spam your prospects into submission. Instead, Dan walks us through the process of how to use cold email the right way to start a relationship built on value and then nurture those prospects into paying clients. Dan uses these strategies every day to help his agency clients get more business, and today he holds nothing back. If your agency could use a scalable channel for new business development, or you just don't believe me when I say cold email doesn't have to be annoying, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, here's Dan Englander of Sales Schema. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you were on here almost a year ago, and then you were talking about how proper account management can really help grow an agency. But today we're going to focus on how to use cold email to fill agency pipelines and the mindset required to succeed with a sales process. This is a topic that might sound a little dull, but it's something that's really valuable and important. And I think agencies can get a lot out of this. But before we dive in, for listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you share a brief background in how you gained experience generating leads for agencies? Yeah, so you know, I started at this animation studio called Idea Rocket, and I won't get too far into that, but basically we were selling you know, high-end uh, creative projects and enterprise video services, and we used a lot of, of outbound methods there, so I kind of had that in the back of my head. Um, then founded Sales Schema, which, which is you know, a consulting business designed to help agencies and niche marketing services drive more business. Um, and you know, I had all these clients, and I would give them advice on how to get leads and how to do win win new business and how to do sales and stuff. Um, and the problem was, you know, they would get taken off course and they would sort of get inconsistent. And then eventually, we kind of shifted to a done for you lead generation model. So that's that's what we do now is, you know, high end lead generation programs for agencies and niche marketing services. How long have you been having this um, lead gen model for? Um, about a year now, give or take. Yeah, but it's kind of building on the experience of myself and, and my team that have done it forever for ourselves and in previous lives. And because I know we, we're going to talk about specifically cold email, but what other methods are you using to generate leads for your clients? Yeah, we're using primarily cold email and LinkedIn right now, although that we might add some other things you know, in due time. And that's interesting because I, I've talked to a lot of agency lead generation experts and so many of them have a cornucopia, if you will, of methods that they use. And, and I get that there's always a time and a place for a specific method and things you need to try different options. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's a much better approach to focus on just a couple things, do them really well and really develop expertise. So I'm glad that you've taken that approach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think, and we'll go into this, but I, I don't like to get way too hung up on the specific tool, although I, I am happy to go into cold email and anything else in detail. It's more about, you know, outbound and and sort of how to do, how to do outbound and what makes it different, I think, that's important for agencies to uh, to understand. 
Yeah, and one of the reasons why I did want to focus on cold emails because I'm also I spent a lot of time in the startup world and everybody is talking about cold email for lead generation. They'll they'll have their their sales reps doing constant prospecting with, with cold email and then using that to generate real sales and scale quickly. But on the agency side of things, I just don't hear as much talk about it. And so I'm glad that we're actually able to dive into that a bit more. So for cold email, what are you doing and how are you using that to actually help agencies generate new leads? Yeah, I mean, the main thing that we're doing is we're, we're building the list from the ground up and getting super targeted, which is really important. Um, a lot of the times, I think people perceive email as, as like spam or something if you're if you're running these campaigns. Um, and it's not. There's ways to do it right and the, there's ways to do it very wrong. And I'm sure that most of your listeners are familiar with the ways people do it wrong, which is being extremely untargeted, you know, writing a very self serving message. And the main thing that, that I've learned from this business and from doing it for myself is that, you know, the bar is very low. <laughs> um, it, there aren't that many people doing it, doing it well. Uh, and, you know, the sort of success that, that you're, you're aiming to look for is, you know, like a 10 to 20% response rate is great. You know, so that means that eight out of 10 people might not be interested right then, but if two out of 10 are, you've really bulked up your pipeline and driven your sales process forward in a major way. Um, so I think that that's, that's why one of the reasons email is really great. I mean, it's also um, sort of anti-fragile in a way, like it's been going strong since inception, you know, roughly two decades ago, and it's been challenged by every social media platform under the sun and it just keeps getting stronger. Um, and it's still a place where, you know, us workers are spending some, some stats say up to six hours a day, even if it's not that much, it's still quite a bit of time. So it's a good place to be. Yeah, it's funny because if you want to do Facebook ads, if you want to do all these other more general advertising methods, it, it, you have to be like, okay, how can I get these interests aligned? How can I narrow down this group of billions of people to get to the people who I ultimately want to reach? But with cold email, you don't really have that problem because like you said, you're able to build a list of people to contact from the ground up and really laser target who you're contacting instead of saying, all right, I'm going to contact people in this zip code with interests in X, Y, and Z. You're going to say, I'm going to contact these 100 people because they fit my ideal client persona. Exactly. Yeah. Which it maybe, you know, we'll, we'll get to this in, in more detail later, but I think it's part of this bigger issue where outbound in general kind of allows you to sort of meet the strategic vision for your agency. Um, there's nothing wrong with, with inbound, and I think that you should probably invest in both on some level, but you really don't have that much control over who knocks on your door. You know, Even if you do everything right and you get all your articles perfectly lined up to a specific audience, at the end of the day, you, know, you're not, you don't have control. Um, I think outbound is understandably scary to people because they're the ones that are, you know, you're the one knocking on someone else's door and sort of getting into their inbox or getting into their LinkedIn message box or whatever. Um, so it's a little bit scary. But the, the plus side is you're getting people at a completely different phase. So when you're when people are coming to you generally, they're at a provider selection phase. So when they knock on your door, you know, they, they're looking to compare you to competitors. Um, and you're largely commoditized in a way, even if it's a great conversation and it feels really good to have those calls because they have budget, they're all ready to go. The downside is you don't have as much control. You know, you don't have as much control over how they're thinking and their decision-making process. Compared to outbound, yeah, occasionally you're going to get the situation where somebody happens to be in the market right then, which is great. But more often, there's just going to be people that have sort of a vague but 
sharp problem um, and they're going to be at this problem discovery phase or they're going to be at a solution research phase and that's and you're going to get at them right then and then it takes a different sales process but I think the uh, the benefits are, 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 are well worth it because it allows you to sort of get complete control over your over your over how you eat basically over your new business in the future. And you had mentioned this earlier about that many of us are familiar with cold email gone wrong and sort of the wrong approach to cold email where you just kind of spam out the same barely personalized message to thousands and thousands of people and hope someone bites. If that's not the right way to do it, which we can all agree it is not, what is the right way? What steps do you actually have to follow to build an effective cold email campaign? Yeah. And, and, you know, I used to try to get really complex with it and try to figure out how to find triggers for buy, buying intent. And it's possible to do that. You know, you could go see if somebody's being hired in a hiring site and that's an indication that they might be switching agencies or something. Now, I don't think that that's how you do it. Now, I think that it's all about finding, you know, two to three niches that you know you can serve really well and a very legible value prop that you have for those those niches. Um, and you're finding, you know, the right size companies, the right industries that you you have a track record with and the right titles. Uh, and then that allows you to basically build an email campaign at scale. And, and for, for yeah. titles, you mean titles of the prospect that you're reaching out to? Correct. Yeah, job titles. Okay. And so once you started building this list, what happens then? It's Because I know for people who don't have much experience actually building out these campaigns, it's sort of a little unclear at that point. So, all right, I've, I put together a list of people who I know can benefit from the service. What do I do then? Right. So, you know, you're going to find their emails. And this is not um, the sort of thing that an agency owner should be doing. This is something that is easily hireable um, via hiring channels like Upwork and so on. And, you know, you're looking to spend uh, you could pay hourly for like three to six dollars an hour or, you know, less than a dollar per lead or something to that effect, depending on some complexities there. Um, it, you're building this list. You're, you're having the, the email scrubbed and verified to make sure that that that. Um, they're, they're going to be sent. And I think that that's a big missing piece where people will sometimes ascribe like, you know, nobody's interested, nobody wants my offer when it's really just a more technical deliverability issue. Um, and a lot of the emails just really aren't getting sent or they're ending up in somebody's junk folder or something like that. So deliverability is really huge. And that's like the sort of in terms of Maslow's hierarchy, that's like in the bottom, like make sure your emails are getting sent. Um, yeah. And then from there, it's all about, you know, writing the, the sequences. Uh, so typically, you know, you're aiming, you're going to want to aim for um, maybe three to four sequences or three to four messages in a sequence that are kind of roughly spaced out by a week per message or so. Um, and that's and yeah, and I can go more into that, but that's sort of the the second step. Yeah, so let, let's get into that step a little bit because this is where I think a lot of, not necessarily agencies, but so many people that are running cold email campaigns, this is where they get it wrong is what they actually are putting in that email. How do you think about these initial emails to actually get through someone's, not their actual spam filter, but kind of their mental spam filter where they're just going to completely write off. So how do you get your email to stand out? Right. So the first thing, and this is, you know, this takes some iteration um, and there aren't, there isn't a one size fits all model for this. 
But I like to start with honesty. So I don't like to, to make some customized, you know, lie that's not really, you know, based in, in something that's genuine. So usually if you can customize the first line and sort of pull a custom field from your list, but still make it genuine, you know, that's great. You know, so, so maybe it's you've, you're targeting companies that have been in business for a certain number of years, or there's something specific about the industry you're targeting that you can, you can, pull genuinely into an email that actually does is relevant. Um, so that's, that's sort of the first thing. If you can customize it a bit, or even just saying like, Hey, you know, I, I was doing some research and you guys came up with my list for X, Y, Z good reasons. You don't have to rail on about that. Um, the next thing is, is sort of the tone. Like a lot of people will make a very formal, uh, very kind of, like marketing like tone. And I think it's a different world that we're dealing with here. Like marketing sort of meant for um, broadcast to the masses and sales is very much like a one-on-one networking like thing. So, you know, the tone is, is definitely casual that you're going to want to aim for. So, so like if you want to use it to reconnect with somebody you met at a, you know, cocktail event, then you probably shouldn't use it in a cold email. Um, and then the next thing is your value prop. So, you know, I can't tell you how to write your value prop on this podcast, but it's probably not um, your creativity. It's probably not your collective experience. It's probably not these things that you think um, are different, but nobody perceives to be different. It's probably something very specific. Like we help, you know, uh, manufacturing businesses increase efficiency by 30%. Obviously, agencies want to do that, but it could be something else like we we help uh, reach, you know, 20% more customers a month through XYZ reasons, you know, in the XYZ methods in the e-commerce world, um, or something like that. If you can, if you can parlay, you know, what you know to be a differentiator to a particular niche, then that's even more powerful. Um, but it needs to be really legible. And, you know, there's also this sort of idea of like, let's say you walked into a bathroom and you picked up like the substance and it says, Oh, it's made with the uh, chamomile and herbs and this and that. And it's really great. And it's going to do great things for your skin. And at the end of the day, you need to know whether it's lotion or shampoo. So it's like, what are, what are you? Are you a brand? Are you a branding agency? Are you, you know, are you uh, a PR company? Like what that, that sort of needs, there needs to be some specific that people can wrap their heads around. There's a ton to unpack there. And I mean, the first thing is just, in the beginning, you talked about that first sentence to genuinely personalize it. And I think that's huge because so many cold emailers out there will basically just have it say, all right, insert their company name, insert agency name, insert whatever. And that's the only thing they customize. And like just saying for me, like just saying hub staff in the email isn't really personalizing it. Like especially when you're saying things that aren't accurate at all. Like one of these emails I just got, I'm just digging through my collection of bad cold email. It's funny. There's one that was like, I checked out the landing page for Hubstaff and I have several suggestions to help you improve your conversion. I'm like, what is, I don't know what that even means. Like what landing page do we have? What one did you see? Like that's not genuinely personalized. That's just something where they inserted the company name. And so I think it's important that you stressed on honest personalization there. Can you expand on, on just how you think about that a little bit more? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be from a custom field. I think that makes it easiest, but there's ways to do it without even using, you know, a custom field. Um, I think it's basically just saying why why somebody made your shortlist to some degree. Like I've, I've said, we found that, you know, companies, agencies of your size are typically – are, are hitting a growth ceiling once they get to about this place and like are interested in finding new ways to get leads. Like that's worked really well. Like if you can sort of dial into a bleeding neck, as Perry Marshall would say, um, you don't have to customize too much. It's just going to hit home right away. 
Uh, so that, that helps a lot. And I mean, that ties into what I was going to get in next. And that's just the value of truly having a strong value prop and having a clear position for your agency. Because if you're just a generalist web designer, it's going to be really, really hard to kind of hit on that bleeding neck, to, to hit on those pain points. Because if you're trying to help anybody and everybody with anything that they have wrong with their website, you're not going to be able to write copy that really resonates. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that might sound scary to a lot of people, but the good news is you don't have to blow up your agency and reinvent it to do that. You know, it's basically creating, writing this email and maybe creating a landing page if you want to get fancy. Um, but you, you know, it's not, it's not like reinventing everything all at once. You can really experiment with this stuff, but that, I mean, that was a huge breakthrough for me a while back in my business is that I think I was at a conference with Noah Kagan and he pointed out that no great business ever started without niching. I mean, IBM started with calculators. Um, Facebook started with college. You know, Amazon started with books. So this idea that you're going to somehow break this trend uh, is not likely, you know. And I like that you hit on the fact that this doesn't need to be a complete rebranding of the agency. This can be something as simple as actually building out a landing page for a specific service, a specific market, whatever it is, so that you can customize the language a bit more to speak directly to those pains. Because that is much a much easier pill to swallow than saying, all right, throw out everything you've done, turn away all these other clients, you're just going to focus on these ones right now. This is a much lower, a lower stakes way of testing the waters exactly yeah yeah and there's probably more low stake experiments you can do throughout your agency that might seem scary but actually aren't that that big of a deal to test um yeah and just to wrap up like the the email template stuff a lot of people ask about call to actions and ctas and stuff i I don't like to make people like click through to a calendar link in the email like i think you got to sort of get a commitment in that first message before you go to something else um i think a lot of the times like you know when people are new to this they'll try to over automate it uh, and it doesn't work because you, you don't really have someone on the hook. Like it's sort of like you ha- you have them on the hook, and then you got to keep reeling and keep reeling a little bit more. And, and there's sort of this interplay there. So, you know, what I'll usually say is like, can we connect briefly next week or this this week or next week for a brief you know mutual review, or so that I can run through what we've done for uh, other similar clients or something that's sort of value giving. Um, and it allows people to just very easily say yes or no. Like you don't want to, to muddle your call to action and have a bunch of different things for people to do. And you don't want people clicking through to your website because uh, then they go and they get lost and they never come back. That's an interesting point because that's one thing where I feel like people who immediately send the scheduling link, I think that's a bit presumptuous. And it's also just a bigger commitment is like, all right, you, I have no idea who you are. You're sending me an email. I'm sort of interested in what you're talking about if you've done a good job writing this email. But like, it's much easier for me to just put off doing anything if I need to click on your calendar link, dig through my calendar, find a good link, and do all that. Like, I'm just not that invested. But if you simply say, hey, are you interested in continuing this conversation? Yes or no? I can just say yes, and I'll be like, all right, I, I, won't, I don't need to think about this anymore. It's a much smaller commitment but then when the next email comes, I'm, I've already have some commitments, so it's going to be easier to get me to take the next step from there and so on. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people will, will stress about their websites too much. Like, oh, the website isn't perfect. We haven't built a million you know, use cases and specific pages and all this stuff. And I always say, like, you know, your website is, is not for mass consumption. Like, you're probably selling agency services in at least the five-figure range, um, even if it's a little bit below that. And... 
you know, your your website doesn't need to do that much heavy lifting. Like, in, at least at least for what we're talking about. If you're talking about like inbound and you're generating traffic to your site through PPC and stuff or, or content, that's different. But um, for what we're talking about, it doesn't have to you know cover every single base. It just needs to look relatively professional. And I think that's a good thing to kind of harp on. It is that, like you said before. Outbound can be scary because you're the one knocking on the door. You're the one potentially calling in the middle of dinner, things like that. So people have a resistance to that, but but just letting them know that not everything needs to be perfect to get started to to test the waters makes it a lot more palatable for an agency owner who's kind of on the fence about this stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are enough uh, successful businesses that have been built from just these died in the wool sales guys that have have a phone and a list, you know, uh, and that's really it. So I'm not saying that you should do just that and you shouldn't send anything afterwards, but. Um, it doesn't take much to, to sort of get the ball rolling. And so when you work with clients, you said this is a done-for-you service. So at what point do you and your team back off, and when does the client actually step in? Right. So we will basically send, send these messages on our client's behalf, and then when we get um, interest, then we forward them along to, to our clients. So there's some variance there. Like some people are going to be ready to talk right away. Some people might want some more information. You know, have you done what work have you done for XYZ industry or something like that? Some people might say, hit us up in a week. But once we get somebody raising their hand, then we send them along. And this is one thing that I'm curious about because I know in a lot of industries, the speed to reply to an inbound lead is crucial. If you're not responding within sometimes even minutes is a very good chance that the lead is going to find someone else because you said, like you said before, for inbound, they're often shopping different providers. How does that work with outbound? Like, obviously, they don't want to just sit on a lead for a while, but like, is there as much urgency in getting back to them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that responsiveness and urgency is still really important, you know, regardless. Um, yeah, I mean, it, there could be some variances between different situations. You know, if somebody's way further along, then, you know, speed might be more important. But the main thing that we qualify for when we take on new clients is that they have bandwidth to consistently do sales and that they can be responsive and, and so on. You know, I, I think that whether it's inbound or whether it's outbound, like you're talking about the lifeblood of your company and this is, you know, it's responsiveness really matters. So I'm going to stop Dan right there for a quick word for a sponsor, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets and start getting the insights into how your team is spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. You probably know that by now, but what you may not know is that we recently launched a platform called Hubstaff Talent that makes it easier for you to find and hire high-quality freelancers around the world. Whether you just need extra hands for a specific project or you're looking for something long-term, Hubstaff Talent is what you need. Best of all, it's 100% free. We don't take a cut and we don't act as a middleman. Our goal is for you to use Hubstaff for time tracking, but you're not required to do so. If you're looking to grow your team with remote freelancers and don't want to pay big fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com today and create a free profile for your agency and start posting your jobs. That's talent.hubstaff.com. All right, let's get back to Dan. And that ties into what I really wanted to also get into in this show, and that's the required mindset to succeed with building out any real sales process. So can you talk about 
the other types of criteria or just factors you think agency owners and agencies themselves need to have to really succeed when trying to implement some sort of outbound sales process. Right, right. I mean, the main thing, and some agencies are, are ahead of the curve on this and get it, others really aren't, is that, you know, taking ownership over being in sales, like if you're, you are selling a service at the end of the day and it's not something else, you know, that's what's going on here. Um, and with that in mind, it's, it has to be consistent. So I think that treating it, you know, having the mindset in the same way that a weight lifter would, or a bodybuilder would think of lifting weights is sort of how you have to think of, of selling is like, you know, you want to have a certain number of conversations every week or every month with the right job titles of the right companies, basically. Um, so that's that's the main thing. I think another one is, is sometimes agency owners will uh, let themselves off the hook too easily. And they'll, they'll sort of say, well, that person wasn't ready to buy, you know? Um, and I think that that's, that's problematic because it, it's not, you haven't really like developed a sales process that leads somebody. You're sort of working with a process that is based on somebody being in the market for what you're already selling. Um, so saying, well, they're not ready to buy is, is sort of letting yourself off the hook. So I think it's more about developing the sort of push market concept. Um, where you're really kind of doing a teaching-based sale. So you're getting somebody at a stage when they don't know exactly what they want, but they know they have a problem, and then you're the one to sort of lead them to to signing up with you. Um, so it's a lot different than than just waiting around until somebody's ready to buy a website or ready to buy you know, a SEM campaign or whatever. Can we get into that a bit more about what exactly you mean by push market? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, basically a push market is one where where you are getting in touch with the buyer when they're at this problem discovery phase or this uh, solution research phase. And you are, are, are sort of pushing them towards a solution that you know to work well. You know, it's, it's a very much a teaching-based sale. So it's the sort of thing where you have a specific process and you've worked with certain people, certain other companies in their niche, and you can you know, prescribe a certain number of things. And it's not about the pull market, which is sort of like waiting for, uh, for people to, to, to come to you and put you in a spreadsheet and compare, you know, and, and compare you to competitors. It's this, it's the sort of dynamic where like cars are a great example of a pull market. Like if you see a car commercial and you're not in the market for a car right then, it's just sort of white noise. If you write a cold email that says we do web design, and it's really great, and it looks really cool. Uh, it's sort of like a car commercial. It's it's a pull market. Um, so push because market if is, I'm not looking yeah. for web design at the time, I'm just going to tune it out. I'm just going to immediately delete that because exactly. what you're trying to sell me is not what I'm looking for. Yeah, but if you can say, you know, we help uh, e-commerce companies, you know, optimize their funnels by thirty percent when they reach this stage, and, and we happen to do it through web design and one or two other things, that becomes a push market now. Because if you've hit on that pain point, then it's something that even if I'm not thinking about it or wasn't thinking about it prior to opening that email, I can say, hey, this sounds like something I could use if, because I am an e-commerce company, because I do fit into this criteria, because all of these things are true, maybe I should look into it. Exactly. Yeah, because you're getting people at that earlier phase. Um, and they, all they know is they have this problem. You know, They don't really know what the solution is going to be yet. Um, which means you know, which means you have to be a little more persistent. But I think it's worth it because you just get a lot more control over the sorts of companies you work with. If that's the, the right way to sort of play this and to approach this type of sale, I know you don't do this for your clients, but how do you recommend to them, or ever in your mind, what is the right way to approach 
that initial call with them? How much teaching, how much discovery, like what sort of things are you trying to fit into that call? Yeah, well, a great a primer on this is the challenger sale, um, which, you know, to sort of give a brief history, like sales, I, I like to think of it personally as three different phases. So you have this first phase, which was very much like the Glengarry, Glen Ross, pushy sales guy sort of situation where like basically sellers had all the information and buyers had very little leverage and you, you have the stereotypes and stuff. Um, then you have the second phase, which is spin selling, which was written in the 70s by Neil Rackham and was the first like very, very well empirically researched sales book from like thousands of conversations analyzed and so on. And that was all about qualifying. So that's sort of the phase that people are still in now, which is like, you know, you ask a million questions and you figure out someone's pain and then you sort of map their pain to like this complex solution and, and then hope it all works out. The challenger sale, which is you know very much vetted by Neil Rackham and he wrote the forward to it actually, is is sort of one that's more for like the internet age where basically people have you know almost near information parity. Um, so to answer your question, you know, in terms of what that first call is like, it's it's not endless discovery. You know, you might ask like three to five key questions about that'll sort of tell you as much as you need to know. So it's more about like when you talk to a specific buyer, you probably have a hypothesis because you've done a whole bunch of work in their industry and you know what's going on. So instead of asking a million questions, you're telling them what you see in their space. Um, you're d- building this emotional connection to what you're selling and you're, you're saying like, you know, here here's what works, you know, and you allow them to sort of go into the rationality of it. You allow them to go into the emotional, the emotional aspects of it and you, um, you sort of lead them to a particular path and you get them to say yes or no, you know, instead of just um, trying to, to maintain or, or build a relationship that doesn't really exist because there's there's no commerce being done. Uh, you, you, you know, this is all from challenger sale, but you basically maintain a sort of constructive tension through the call because you care enough. I mean, you care enough to compel them to take action um, and and do something that's going to benefit them. So. And I definitely would recommend that book, The Challenger Sale, to any listeners of the show. And I mean, spin selling, while I agree entirely with how the market has changed and how sales processes need to change along with that, I still think it's a good read for people to kind of get that initial primer. But yeah, The Challenger Sale dives into a lot of that. And I think it's a good point because so many times when you're talking to a salesperson, they ask you these questions in their discovery phrase or whatever they want to call it that... If they are really the experts that they claim to be, they should know the answers. They shouldn't have to ask those questions. And conversely, if someone is able to kind of preempt those things by giving me insights that show they do have an expertise in my field, I'm immediately going to think of them differently than I would a typical salesperson. Right. Yeah. Because the idea is you're, you're reframing how people are thinking. You're getting people to think differently because they really have to buy the solution before they can they care about you know, any feature or benefit that you're selling. So that's, that's the main point of it. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, which you mentioned before this was the value and importance of consistency. Why is that so important in your opinion? Because, you know, these agency sales cycles, you're, you're talking about sales cycles that are lasting weeks, if not months. So if it drops off because you get busy with client work or whatever, you're really setting yourself up for failure are for being being in the sort of like downswell of the feast and famine roller coaster 
you know, weeks or months out. So it really has to be the, this sort of thing that's this consistent and systematic um, or else you'll just kind of end up back in that rut again. And that's the same for, for a lot of businesses, I think. But with agencies, I, I know that it tends to be a bigger problem because you have a lot more people in sort of a, a hybrid role. You know, they're selling and serving clients at the same time and they get a bunch of clients and they're on top of the world and they think that it'll be like that forever and then it's it's not. So, Right. It's that inconsistent action really does help perpetuate the, that feast or famine cycle because when things are bad, that's when a lot of agencies will step up their sales game. They'll, they'll start sending out cold emails. They'll start doing uh, reaching out to the network. They'll start doing all these things. And then when the projects eventually come in, their team is fully booked handling that and they're not thinking about anything else and just trying to deliver work. But then when those projects end, because they haven't been consistently doing those sales processes, they don't have any new projects coming in. So it really can be a vicious cycle. But to combat that, if agency owners were going to do this in-house rather than outsource it to a company like yours, what tips would you have for them on how they can be consistent with it even when they are really busy? Right. Well, I think a lot of it is is automatable. You know, I think that you can you can get somebody building lists um, and you can be running campaigns and testing things and so on. But the main thing is making sure that you, you know, on the lead generation side, but the main thing is making sure that you have the bandwidth for sales and for to be persistent um, when when people agree to speak to you. So I think that it's like anything else. Like you got to block off time for it and you got to make sure that that time doesn't get interrupted. Um, I, I think morning is more ideal, but Regardless, like what I like to do is if you, you know, if you are scheduling email campaigns to go out, schedule your sales time for a half hour after those campaigns go out. So that way you're sort of setting yourself up to be responsive. Um, and, this, and, you know, just build in that time and make sure that it doesn't get infringed on by clients. You know, be, be disciplined, set expectations, you know, do what you need to do, but make sure that you're, you're working in the pipeline, you know, if, if, at least, at least every day, if, if not more than that, I guess, you know. These sales pipelines, these these sales processes really are the lifeblood of an agency. And so as any agency owner knows, there's always a fire that comes up. There's always something that can try to pull your attention away from anything else you're trying to do, especially when you're working on the business. But if you think of it as the lifeblood and when you understand the importance of consistent execution, it becomes a bit easier to say, that can wait. I, I need to spend this 30-minute block, this 60-minute block on following up with these prospects. Because if I don't, I won't have projects to work on in yeah. a few months. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think what's tough is that, you know, the, the sort of nerve center of sales is the inbox, which is the nerve center of everything else that's going on. <laughs> so that that's challenging. But there's things you can do, like, you know, living out of a CRM is better. I, I use Streak, but there's others that are great too. Um, and, and it's sort of keeping email away from other things. If you can silo, you know, client conversations, that's great. Um, and the, yeah, there's this great anecdote kind of for what you're talking about, like where, you know, sales might not seem important, but it sort of allows everything else to happen. Where uh, I think it was Dan Kennedy, 
you know, was, I think he was, I might completely butcher the story. So if you know it, I apologize, but he was a consultant at a major fortune 500. And, and all of a sudden, like the CEO noticed in a line item that he was making, you know, X times percent more than the highest paid employee, which was him, the CEO. And he said, you know, get, get Dan Kennedy to my office. And he said, like, how, how can you explain this? You know, what is this? You're, you're just some hired gun and you're making more than the CEO. And Dan Kennedy said, you know, w- without me, there is no you basically. <laughs> that's why so so even if you know even if you don't have a dan kennedy you can think of your time spent on sales as is allowing everything else to happen so right and i mean it's something where when those fires come up not not all of them actually do need to be dealt with right that second and, and so it's placing the right priorities on the different tasks that you have and actually sticking to that which does take discipline but on the other side of things if you're an agency owner and you find it nearly impossible to set aside 30 to 60 minutes a day to work on the business like this to dedicate to sales, then there are probably more systemic issues in the agency that you can address in other ways to try to take that time back. Because while a lot of us assume there's always going to be fires we have to put out, if it really is that big of an issue, then there's other solutions that we should look at first. Right, right, exactly. And you know, you can hire salespeople. Um, it's just, it just takes time and it's no small investment, but it's something that you should look to get to, um, you know, sooner rather than later. So then if you do your job right for your clients, or do you have the expectation that eventually you'll maybe be replaced by a full-time salesperson? I don't think so. I used to have that fear, um, but now I've found that, you know, there's plenty of like big sales teams that we, we just sort of add more quantity and quality to their lead flow. Because even these sales guys like are still busy and still can't always do what we do. And you know, we can just sort of add to what, what they're already doing and, you know, find other markets they might not be thinking of. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it makes sense to, to get a second pair of eyes on things regardless. Right. A lot of it, hiring that sales guy or gal, a lot of it is going to just be shifting the responsibility of having these follow-up conversations from typically the agency owner to someone else. But there's still that need for the lead generation side of it because without that, there aren't any conversations to be had. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's sort of easy to get stuck in a rut where you're not thinking of you know, the, the sort of creative aspects of lead generation, like what other niches could we apply this to? What's the next sort of direct marketing style message we can write that'll perhaps do better than the one we're using already? It's that sort of consistency that's hard to maintain with everything else. And so to sort of tie things together a bit and leave listeners with a bit of actionable advice, what is one thing that an agency owner right now can do to just at least get started with building out their own sales pipeline? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really figuring out what what are like one to three niches that you can hone in on. You know, just really that's the first step I think to developing this value prop that makes it a lot a a lot easier to build lists and write messages and everything else. But b you sort of have an agency that scales that you know you could sell one day if you wanted to. So I think that's that's the biggest thing is just figuring out who you're serving. Yeah, and I mean. So much of what you talked about today really comes down to that value proposition, to having something that does hit on key pain points. And like we said, if you try to be a generalist, it's really hard to get that value prop to a way where it's going to stand out in a crowded market. So I agree fully that starting there is a good way and then everything else can follow once you have that laser focus on who you can help and how you can help them. Exactly. Yeah. 
So before we do wrap up, I'd like to ask all my guests a few rapid-fire questions. I'm going to go through them quickly, but your responses don't have to be short. The first one is just, what do you currently spend too much time doing? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think I spend too much time um, scheduling, you know, even which is sort of like this other jujitsu of sales is, is scheduling. You know, it's it's not easy to automate all of it, but I, th- I think sometimes um, I could do a better job with that. <laughs> and then what are you not spending enough time on? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I think I get stuck in, in in not being able to see like the the big systems of the business and what could be better done by others. So I think that's something I'm focusing on now more is figuring out do I you know what I actually need to be doing. So um, to get specific, I think I sp- I end up getting stuck in these like tinkering ruts, you know, where I'll be tinkering with WordPress for two hours when that could have just been not done at all, you know. Right. Yeah. And then more practically speaking, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next quarter with sales schema? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking to just bring on the ideal clients, like the sort of agencies we can really get results for, um, not in, in mass. You know, we're looking to, to bring on a, a lower number uh, and just keep people that get people that can stick around for a long time um, as opposed to having to be on, on sales calls all day, <laughs> which, you know, I don't hate, but, uh, it's, 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 it's better to win clients that can stick with you for a long time. So. Absolutely. And then what is the biggest obstacle that you see getting in the way of achieving that goal of growth? Hmm. Yeah, that's, I think, you know, for per- personally, my biggest challenge is figuring out when to hire, who to hire and like how to keep their time filled once they're on, you know, and, and what, and then once their time is filled, what, what's actually meaningful for them to be working on. So I think that's the the thing that scares me the most and that I'm, I'm working on. Yeah. Are you planning on making any hires in the next quarter? Yeah. Yeah. We're bringing on uh, account managers now, basically. Nice. And I mean, hiring, knowing when to grow, knowing how to grow, knowing how to handle that process is a whole can of worms. So I wish you all the luck with that. And I wish I had some advice, but that is something that it seems like people kind of need to figure out what works for them and for their team. So again, I wish you all the luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other side of the, the, the equation that, you know, I'm not smart enough to deal with. So, <laughs> <laughs> But before we say goodbye, if listeners have been intrigued by what you've talked about, if they want to learn more about how you do this, how they can do this and build these sales processes, where is the best place for them to go? Yeah. Our site, which is just a sales schema.com sales and then schemas and schematic.com. Um, and yeah, there'll be plenty of uh, fun resources there for everyone. So Awesome. I'll make sure to get that linked up in the show notes. And Dan, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time today. It was a lot of fun chatting. Likewise. Yeah, thank you. I know cold email isn't exactly the most exciting marketing channel, but if boring helps you get more prospects, who really cares? There are agencies out there, though, that are sending thousands of emails a day, and I've actually talked to some of them, but that's not the approach that I think is right for most agencies or any agency, really. Dan laid out a strategy for using cold email the right way by reaching out to prospects who you know you can help and by providing them with value up front. The foundation of this strategy is narrowing down on exactly who you're targeting and how you can help them. And while I'm a huge proponent of positioning, for this exercise, you don't actually have to niche down your entire agency and turn away all your other clients. You simply have to create marketing materials that are specific to the niche. Then it's time to build a list of relevant prospects. And as someone who has done this myself, I strongly suggest you take Dan's advice and outsource as much of this as you can. With that in place, it's then time to actually write the email sequences that are going to get sent. 
Dan recommends building a sequence of three to four emails that go out with a week in between each, but it's what's in those emails that really matters. There's four key things. First, customize the email so the prospect knows you've done your homework. Second, set a tone that matches the voice of your agency. Third, include a strong value proposition. And fourth, ask for a chance to speak with them in a mutually beneficial way. This isn't rocket science, but it does require persistence and constant iteration. But once you've figured the system out, cold email really can be the backbone for growing your agency. Whether you want to get started with cold email or some other lead generation strategy, though, you need to make sure that you set aside the time to refine your efforts and make it work and then commit to consistently executing it. You're not going to hit a home run on the first pitch. Without that dedication, without that commitment, you're going to struggle with any sales strategy. For another approach to cold email, check out episode 12 with Robert Williams. And if you want to look at eight other strategies for growth, you'll want to tune into episode 58 with Alex Berman. That's all I have for you this week. If you enjoyed the show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Tell me what it was that you learned. I love hearing from listeners and positive reviews help us grow our audience. So if you could take a second to do that, I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, if your agency is looking to hire remote contractors or maybe even looking for a few extra products and are tired of paying huge fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com and create a profile. It's 100% free. All right, I'll talk to you next week. See ya.